Blog Talk Radio. McCain. We're here for the Sunday morning service and our Bible study group. Let's all bow our heads and pray together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us as trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'd like to wish everybody a a very happy Mother's Day this morning. And uh, if you're missing your mother, she's no longer with us. We just wish wish her, her, she's with our Heavenly Father. And may they be blessed. And my mother is in San Antonio. I pray for her health and I pray for her wellness and let her know how much I really sincerely love her. And I'm also a mother, and I think of my kids this morning and my grandkids and my great-grandson, and prayers go out to all of our children and grandchildren and all the mothers out there that are, some are missing their children and some the children are no longer with them. We also pray for all of them, and we wish you a very blessed Mother's Day, no matter where you may be in this world. And we are actually going to continue with Second Peter, and we're on Chapter 2 this morning. So I'm going to, to read to you um, the discussion about it, and then we're going to go straight to the Bible and read it out of the Bible. And it's Second Peter, Chapter 2. There are times when false prophets arose among the people, even as amongst you too there will be false teachers. Men who insidiously introduced destructive heresies and deny the Lord who brought them, and by doing so they bring swift destruction on themselves. That there should arise false prophets within the church was something only to be expected, but for in every generation false prophets have been responsible for leading God's people astray and for bringing disaster on the nation. It is worthwhile looking at the false prophets in the Old Testament story for their characteristics are reoccurring in the time of Peter and are still reoccurring today. The false prophets were more interested in gaining popularity than in telling the truth. Their policy was to tell people what they wanted to hear. The false prophet says, peace, peace, when there was no peace. That's in Jeremiah 6.14. Then they saw visions of peace when the Lord God was saying that there was no peace. That's from Ezekiel 13.6. In the days of Jehoshaphat, Zedekiah, the false prophet, donned the horns of iron and said that Israel would push the Syrians out of the way as he pushed with the horns. Micaiah, the true prophet, foretold disaster if Jehoshaphat went to war. Of course, Zedekiah was popular and his message was accepted, but Jehoshaphat went forth to war with the Syrians. And perished tragically. That's from First Kings 22, 1 through 53. In the days of Jeremiah, Hananiah prophesied that the swift end of the power of Babylon, while Jeremiah prophesied the servitude of the nation to her. And again, the prophet who told the people what they wanted to hear was the popular one. Going back to Jeremiah 28, 1 through 17. Diogenes, the great cynic philosopher spoke of the false teachers of his days whose method was to follow wherever the applause of the crowd led. One of the first characteristics of the false prophet that he tells men what they want to hear, not the truth they need to hear. So as much as we don't like it, we will continue to hear the truth and speak the truth and beware of the false prophets. As I've been saying, where they're saying peace, peace, and they're uh, actually wolves in sheep's clothing. They come in peace, but really mean for disaster. So go for listening to the truth. So let's go right to the Holy Scripture. 
and they're going to announcing false teachers and their conduct. So we're in Second Peter chapter 2. But false prophets who also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. And then we're going to, now we're on verse 4 already, their condemnation. For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but the preserved Noah, a teacher of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. And if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter, and if he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of the unprincipled men, for that which he saw and heard that righteous man, while living among them, felt his righteousness so righteous soul tormented day after day with their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under the punishment of the fourth day of judgment. And then it goes on to talk about the characteristics. We're up to Second Peter two and verse ten now. Especially those who indulge in the flesh and its corrupt desires and despise authority. Daring, self-willed, they do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties, whereas angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like unreasoning animals, born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, reviling where they have no knowledge, will in destruction of those creatures will also be destroyed. Suffering wrong as the wages of doing wrong, they count it as a pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are the stains and blemishes of reveling in the receptions as they carouse with you. Well, you know, we're talking about partying. Huh? Having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, having a heart trained in greed, accursed children, forsaking the right way they have gone astray, having followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he received a rebuke for his own transgression, for a mute donkey, speaking with the voice of a man, restrained the madness of the prophet. These are the springs without water, the mist driven by a storm, for whom the black darkness has been reserved. For speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice fleshly desires by sensuality of those who barely escape from the ones they live in error promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what a man is overcome, and by this he is enslaved. For it, after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and are overcome. The last state has become for them worse than the first. 
And for it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it and turned away from the holy commandment handed on to them. Now we're at 22. This happened to them according to the true proverb. A dog returns to its own vomit, and a sow after washing returns to wallowing in the mire. Wow. Well, that's not a pleasant thought. To me, this speaks of change. We have to change. We can't keep returning to the same thing in the same evil ways. Okay, now I'm going to read the notes. We're starting with one, denying the master who brought them. The price for all sins of all men, including the false teachers, was paid by the death of Christ. So no man can have benefit of this forgiveness except through faith in the Savior. And two, three, the note says, Though it may seem that God has delayed judging the false teacher, that judge teachers, that judgment will surely come. And it says it's not asleep. So now we're at the, the notes for two, four. Angels when they sin. These are the fallen angels who sin grievously by cohabitating with women as described in Genesis 6, 1-4. Or this may refer to the angels who rebelled with Satan before Adam and Eve sinned. In either case, they were consigned to hell and a prison holding them until their final judgment. Some evil angels and demons are still free in doing Satan's will. The logic is that God so punished angels, surely he will not spare those who are false teachers. Okay, now we're on 2-5 with seven others. Noah was the eighth among the seven other members of his family, his wife, his three sons, and their wives. And he's talking about Noah when he, uh, in the great flood. And now they're talking about uh, verse 7, righteous Lot. He was a righteous man in that he believed God and was vexed by the lasciviousness of the, the <laughs> I can't pronounce it, anyway, of the wicked people about him through his, though his life he lived for himself. And at nine, the unrighteous not only will be punished in the lake of fire, but also be punished either in this life while alive or in the immediate place of Hades between death and the lake of fire. Now we're up to ten. Indulge the flesh. Some sexual perversion, likely homosexuality, since he has just written about Sodom and Gomorrah, despise authority, especially God. False teachers speak rashly in disbelief of the power and authority of angels, or perhaps this is a reference to the church leaders. And then now we're at 11, against them. Probably a reference to the false teachers. In other words, even though false teachers speak evil of angels, angels do not denounce them but leave all judgment to God. Some interpret them to refer to evil angels, i.e. good angels do not accuse evil angels. Hmm. So now we're up to 2.13, reveling in their deceptions. The false teachers turned Christian fellowship meals into riotous drinking parties. Now, I told you that. I knew that was what I meant. 2.14, eyes full of adultery. Eyes full of an adulteress. The false teachers desired to commit adultery with every woman they saw. Trained like an athlete, only for greed. Accursed children, a phrase that simply means the false teachers themselves, not their children, are cursed. And then it says the way of Bilam. 
the covetousness of one who hires himself to do religious work for personal gain. This way is contrasted with the right way. And then it says, springs without water, Rep. 2.17. The barrenness of a false teacher mocks the thirsty soul who sincerely wants to learn God's way with him. Mist is driven by a storm. These myths, like false teachers, seem to promise refreshment, but in reality they do no good. Then it talks about the black darkness, and it says eternal torment. And in verse 18, talking about sensuality and sexual excesses. And 219, they promise freedom from moral restraints, though they themselves are enslaved by their own depravity. It sounds like addiction to the carnal things. And 220, escape the defilements of the world. These teachers had apparently made some sort of profession of the truth without possessing the new life of Christ. They then rejected what they professed, becoming slaves to corruption, and that their true, natural, unchanged condition returned. And then it says, the lastly, um, chapter 2, verse 22, knowledge increases responsibility. So, wow, once we learn, now our responsibility is increased. Once you know different, you do different. And that's just the way it is. So next next week we're going we're moving on to uh second Peter chapter three. That'll be next Sunday if all goes well. And I found a little story to read out of our guidepost. And this is in, for my Mother's Day. And uh I hope you're all blessed by this little story here. And this is by the famous Leo Buscalia of he's Lake Tahoe, Nevada. And it's called Mama's Soup Pot. There are too many treasures in life we take for granted, the worth of which we won't fully realize until they're pointed out to us in some unexpected way. So it was with Mama's Soup Pot. I could still see it sitting on the stove in all its chipped white and blue enamel glory, its contents bubbling, the steam rising as if from an active volcano. When I entered the back porch, the room was not only mouth-watering, but reassuring. Whether Mama was standing over the pot, stirring with a long wooden spoon or not, I knew I was home. There was no recipe for her minestrone soup. It was always a work in progress. It had been so since her girlhood in the Piemonte Mountains of northern Italy where she learned its secret from her nona, her grandma, who had inherited from generations of nonas. Our, for our large immigrant family, Mama's Soup guaranteed we would never go hungry. It was a simmering symbol of security. Its recipe created spontaneously from what was in the kitchen, and we would judge the state of our family economy by its content. A thick brew with tomatoes, pasta, beans, carrots, celery, onion, corn, and meat indicated things were going well for the Lucia girls. A watery soup denoted meager times, and never was food thrown out. That was a sin against God. Everything ended up in the minestrone pot. Its preparation was sacred to Mama. To her, cooking was a celebration of God's providence. Each potato, each shred of chicken was placed in the pot with grateful thanks. I think Mama 
I think the mama, whenever I read Proverbs 31, 15 to 28, she gets up while it is still dark. She provides food for her family. Her children arise and call her blessed. At one time, however, Mama Supop became a source of embarrassment to me, for I feared it would cost me a new friend I made at school. Saul was a thin, dark-haired boy, an unusual pal for me because his father was a doctor. And they lived in the best part of town. Often Saul invited me to his home for a, a dinner, and the family would, in a white uniform, who worked in a kitchen of gleaming chrome and shining utensils. Do the food was good, I found it bland without the hardiness of my home fare served with plain blackened pots. Moreover, the atmosphere matched the food. Everything was so formal. Saul's mother and father were polite, but conversation around the table was stilted and subdued, and no one hugged. The closest I saw, saw Saul get to his father was a handshake. In our family, warm hugs were a constant, men, women, boys, and girls, and if you didn't kiss your mother, she demanded, what's the matter, you sick? But at that time in my life, all this was an embarrassment. I had known Saul would like to eat dinner at our house, but that was the best thing I want. That was the last thing I wanted. Sorry, my family was so different. No other kids had such pots on their stoves, nor did they have a mama whose first action of seeing you enter the house was to sit you down with a spoon in the bowl. People in America don't do things like that. I tried to convince mama. Well, I'm not people. Was her proud retort. I'm Rosina. The only crazy people don't want my minestrone. Finally, Saul pointedly asked if he could come over to our house. I had to say yes. I knew nothing would make Mama happier, but I was in a state of anxiety. Eating with my family would turn Saul off completely, I believe. Mama, why can't we have some American food like hamburgers or fried chicken? She fixed me with his stony glare, and I knew better than to ask again. That day Saul came over, I was a nervous wreck. Mama and the other nine family members welcomed him with embraces and slaps on the back. Soon we were sitting at the heavy, deeply stained and ornately carved table that was Papa's pride and joy. It was covered with an ostentatious bright oilcloth. And sure enough, after Papa asked the blessing, you were instantly faced with a bowl of soup. Uh, so, Mama asked, you know what this is? Soup, Saul responded. No soup, Mama said emphatically. This is minestrone. She launched into a long, animated explanation of the power of minestrone, how it cured colds, headaches, heartaches, indigestion, gout, and liver ailments. After feeling Saul's muscles, Mama was convinced him that the soup would also make him strong. Like the Italian-American hero, Charles Atlas, I cringed, convinced that this would be the last time I would ever see my friend Saul. He was certainly never returned to a home with such eccentric people, odd accents, and strange food. But to my amazement, Saul politely finished his bowl and then asked for two more. I like it a lot, he said, slurping. When we were saying our goodbyes, Saul confided, you sure have a great family. I wish my mom could cook that good. And then he added, boy, are you lucky. Lucky, I wonder, as he wandered down the street waving and smiling. Today I know how lucky I was. I know that glow Saul experienced from our table was more than the physical and spiritual warmth of Mama's minestrone. 
It was the unalloyed joy of a family table where the real feast was love. Mama died a long time ago. Someone turned off the gas under the minestrone pot the day after Mama was buried and a glorious era passed with the flame. But the godly love and insurance that bubbled the mist, its savory ingredients, still warms our hearts today. Paul and I continued our friendship through the years, and I was best man at his wedding. Not long ago, I visited his house for dinner. He hugged all his children, and they hugged me. Then his wife brought out steaming bowls of soup. It was chicken soup, thick with vegetables and savory chunks of meat. Hey, Leo, Saul asked, do you know what this is? Soup, I responded, smiling. Soup, he huffed. This is chicken soup. Cures colds, headaches, indigestions. Good for your liver, Saul went. I felt I was home again. What a lovely story. Who does not love a pot of soup on the stove? For me, it's the crock pot. I make the best chicken soup on the planet. Anyway, as we in our minds, we smell the aroma of that soup. But that aroma, the love our parents put into the food they give for our mouths, the love we put into our food, our children may enjoy and grow big and strong. Secure every cold, every malady, every depression, and give us hope. That soup, that glorious soup. We ask that we receive this as a blessing. And we wish every mother everywhere and all the children everywhere and the blessed mother above. Thank you, thank you, our Heavenly Father, for giving us so many blessings, so much hope. And as we pray for those out into the world that are remaining healthy and those that are sick in this this current health crisis that's worldwide, our prayers go out that they regain their health to do what we have to do to remain healthy, to get healthy. We pray for the recovery. And for those who have passed, God rest their souls and give them peace and eternal love in Jesus Christ's ever-loving arms. May all the saints, the Blessed Mother, all the angels, all pray for us, watch over us now and afterward. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. And now, why don't we close today with a prayer that's our, our long tradition, and it's a simple prayer. God, grant me this serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. I wish everybody again happy Mother's Day. God bless you. Be blessed. And we all have that sacred mother, the blessed Mother Mary, the mother of us all. As she prays and ministers to us, let's let's accept her aroma, beautiful roses, as we accept as a bouquet for our hearts. We ask to receive this, that the blessed mother reach out and help and healing. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So we're going to finish the chapter next week. It'll be Second uh, Peter chapter three. Then we go on to the next. And believe it or not, in a couple of short chapters, we're actually on to Revelation. We have made it, almost made it through the whole New Testament. I can hardly believe it. It's taken us a while, but we're doing it. Anyway, God bless you, everybody. Love you very much. No matter where you are, remember you're never alone. You're never alone. All the heavenly hosts are here just for you. That's how much you are loved. God bless you. I love you very much. Bye-bye.